0: This week's podcast guest is Sonia Lennon, a former TV presenter and designer and one half of design duo Lennon-Courtney. Sonia is accomplished, she is established and she is unapologetic. Plus she has got a filthy laugh to boot. Um, Sonia's great crack and you can just tell she is a cool mum to her teenage twins Finn and Evie. is uh, one of those people that's been there, done that and here she is telling us all about her experience of making it in fashion and becoming a mum. Yeah, do you want to Tesco Crossland? Oh, no, you're fine. Are you sure? You want yeah, no, no, I'm Black happy. Coffee. Bl- ha- huh? Black coffee, That's yeah. That's it. Are you yeah. sure? Yeah, low, yeah. Love them, low-maintenance guests. Yeah. Sonia Lennon, right? Yeah, when, right. <laughs> when your name comes up, right, in the office, and certainly when I've been filming with yourself and Brendan, I always come away having learned to little nugget genuinely really? yeah and it's always kind of the feedback feedbacks like she's so smart like always I feel like I get something out of our chat oh that's so nice and that's just something like off camera you know so today it's actually lovely not to be filming you at a photo shoot that I actually get to have a proper chat with you I'm not yeah just no it's lovely I'm delighted to be here good okay so let's talk about Sonia before you were a mom Okay. so you've been in fashion for about 30 years yeah so wh- how did you get started did you get a big break how did it all evolve for you
1: so i when i left school and um, my parents had uh paid for a private education and i decided at the end of it i i, I was sort of forcibly made apply for my college place through cao uh-huh. uh got a couple of offers and um including UCD I don't I, I, like I can't even imagine me in UCD but anyway <laughs> in the arts I, I know <laughs> I know and uh, I said no I'm not doing it um, my parents went ballistic did they, they? Well, they did because they just they they had expectations that I was going to go on and do a degree and it was that was a long time ago you know mm-hmm. and I suppose that was the great white hope that you'd go on and 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 further educate yourself and and, and you know ch- change your your potential future and was was the third level not an option for them when they were growing up? So my dad went straight into the bank. He mm-hmm. worked in, in the bank in AIB. And my mom was um, an air hostess for Aer Lingus. Um, so they had great careers. Yeah. Um, but they didn't have third level. And yeah. I felt that th- I think they thought that that was what they could give me that they didn't have. Mm-hmm. Um, and so when I rejected that, I think they were you know upset and are you the eldest in your family yeah
0: okay right yeah it's all fitting together now okay lie down on the couch there (laughs) (laughs) okay great so then when you said no to college yeah what did you say I went
1: into retail and my first job was in Blarney Woolen Mills on Nassau Street folding jumpers and selling to American tourists and I had a ball I had a ball and it wasn't um It wasn't long before I was joining the window display team and, you know, kind of getting creatively involved and... um, I knew nothing you know because you start out and you know nothing you don't know what you like you don't know what makes you tick so you just have to immerse you have to follow your nose a little bit and immerse yourself in the things that make you happy and um I used to go uh window shopping from Blarney Woolen Mills on my on my break and at the time there was a store called Camouflage on Dawson Street where um Marco Pierre is now and uh it was Vivian Walsh uh, was the founder, and she now has her own very very successful jewellery um, jewellery business. But she was stocking amazing amazing designers, um, you know, in in the late eighties, uh, Riffat um Philippe Model shoes, like d- labels that nobody had seen in the country before. Philip Tracy, we 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 held an exhibition of Philip Tracy's graduate collection in the shop. Wow, like it was extraordinary, and we worked with. Um, uh jewelers so we did the the camouflage jewelry awards annual jewelry awards and we'd work with irish jewelers and get them to rethink design like whatever wh- whatever the little business is that you're making forget about it take it and and feed it steroids and make it huge and and just think you know go and get your inspiration and i remember we pulled tear sheets from vogue magazines from italian vogue and we brought all the jewelers together and we did a consultation process and we said. Whatever you think you know about jewellery, unthink it and start wow. again. And it was amazing. And some of those jewellers I, I still meet and I still see, and uh, we, pushed, we pushed the boundaries, you know, we wanted to do something new um and from from there, unfortunately, camouflage didn't make it um it was way ahead of its time it so like it sounds like yeah, it was a minimalist paradise with one little item here, another little item there, uh, amazing uh, uh, Ericsson Beeman jewelry before anybody else had it, and um so it, it was victim of its own um, avant garde, if you like. And from there, I went to work in uh, Forenze, which was another boutique beside the Westbury Hotel, uh, run by Louise O'Loughlin, another visionary. Um, and she uh, had Dolce Gabbana, Comme de Garçon, Yoji Yamamoto, and Like Again, all these amazing designers. And I think that just opened, did two things. It opened me up to a world of fashion at another level that I'd mm. never seen before. Mm-hmm. And the other thing, it made me was a really good salesperson <laughs> and yeah. that is a skill that stays with you for the rest of your yeah. life. And then you came to prom and for a TV audience. So how did you well, get that? Break? Okay. So I, I used to see the stylists coming in to uh, camouflage and forense pulling sh- uh, stock for shoots for Image Magazine yeah. or Tatler or whatever. And I, whenever they came in, I was in awe. I was like, <laughs> really? oh my God, these really? girls. And it was only girls at the time. It was like Helen Cody, Susan Howick, Constance Harris, like really only maybe about five stylists at the time working in Ireland. My jaw would be on the ground. And I'd be like, what's your brief? And they'd say, oh, well, we're going to do, um, you know, gothic romantic. Well, okay. And I'd say, leave, leave it with me. I wouldn't even let them look. I said, leave it with me. And I'd pull... Uh, whatever I thought would, yeah. I, I did, I did the job, the job. I'd be in the back room, in the stock room, and I'd be pulling bits of old stock and saying, this'll, this'll work. And I, they'd come back, I'd have all the stuff packed and everything, and they'd be like, wow. And yeah. then, and then I'd open the magazine and the stuff that I chose was in the shoot. And that was like, oh my God. Yeah. They picked my stuff. Yeah. They used it. They put, And of course, I'm sitting there going, wow, that job is amazing. And then one <laughs> na- one day I was like, hang on a second. I yeah. could do this. Yeah and i started to work as a stylist what um, what age are you at this stage so here? i started styling when i was at my i was in my first photo shoot at the age of 20 <gasps> wow oh yeah. my god that yeah. is young yeah. right yeah. okay and um i was literally using every hour Every hour that I had off was spent pulling shoots together, working with photographers, uh, pulling teams together, choosing locations, doing test shoots with models. Uh, Then I was using my holidays. I was taking a week off to do shoots. And eventually I said, oh, okay, now you just have to commit. And I left full-time employment. And very, very shortly after that, um, I I, I didn't do really much assisting. I assisted Sally O'Sullivan, who is an amazing stylist uh, based in... I want to say Stockholm now I'm not sure but she was a very good friend of Melanie Morris and Melanie had just set up D-side magazine and uh, Sally came over and she said I need an assistant and it was for the first shoot for D-side magazine Melanie (sighs) rang me and um, she said will you assist Sally and I said okay and Sally had come over flown over to do the first shoot and uh, she said to Melanie "Uh, that one's got something (gasps) and very, very shortly after that, uh, Melanie asked me to become fashion editor of the magazine. Oh so my God. And you're I 20? I moved. I'm 20. And I moved from uh, doing odd jobs here and there for nothing uh, and living on the bread line um, to- Were you still living at home at that stage? Uh, I was, I think I'd moved out. Okay. But, um, Maybe I moved out at 21 or something. Okay. Um, anyway, uh, I so then we got into a role where we were doing sh- two shoots a month for um, for Dsite and other bits and pieces and you know music shoots and and shooting shooting incoming musicians and everything. And so there was the big shoot and the little shoot. That was the way we did it. We did a ten pager and a six pager every uh, for every edition. And it's a bit like I don't know if you've read Mal- Malcolm Gladwell's. Um, uh, the tipping point oh, he says yeah, okay. if you if you spend 10,000 hours doing something you get really really good at it just by immersion <laughs> yeah. by just doing it again and again and it was a bit like that you know and and so my name was attached to all these shoots um, and then John Reynolds came knocking and he said we need a stylist for a boy band that we're putting together called Boyzone Ah, uh, stop! Uh they just appeared on the late late. I was going to say after, after the late late, <laughs> hands on them. after the late late, you can take no responsibility so, yeah, yeah, yeah. for a dungarees so, and make it yours. Um, and they, they were just they were just kicking off. So I th- I'm actually in the love me for a reason video. Sitting on the couch. I'm going bit, to YouTube. I know, hilarious, right? At you? the very, very end, a neck, like what? well, no, I was a stylist, so I was on set, and it was it was shot in a dance studio, and so we're all messing, like we, it was good old crack. It was good old crack. Wow. Um. So, uh, it was good old crack until it wasn't. Do you know what I mean? And then mm. that kind of wore itself out. Um. And at that stage, I was becoming known as a stylist. I had a portfolio of work. I was getting booked for commercial jobs. Um. I started getting booked for TV commercials and so then I had a kind of a dual income a uh, creative income from the fashion work which is very hard to make a good living on and and a kind of a commercial income from from TV commercials and and uh, videos and stuff so yeah yeah it was that's how it happened this is a flashback
0: now I the first time I would have met you, I was still in college so I was probably 20 and it was down in Super Quinn and Ballantyre and off the rails were filming and they were using you and Caroline Morhan was presenting at the time and I was so mad to get into TV that I went just to perv on all of you and that was the first time I ever met you so that was actually quite a natural transition from you being featured on the show to actually becoming like yourself and Brendan as the duo of the yeah, show. Yeah,
1: so the story it's quite an interesting story so I had been a contributor a long mm. time long time contributor to Head to Toe first and then yeah, Off the Rails, yeah. And what happened was they, uh, the producers rang me, so I would have been a friend of the show. They rang me and they said, would you do um, a, a kind of a, they called it the Rubenesque story. So a larger ladies fashion item, right? Will you do a makeover? And I, oh, the word makeover now was just like beneath me. I said, I do, I'm a fashion stylist. I don't do makeovers. Um, and uh, they said, but we have these. We've picked these six women. They're they're voluptuous. They're they're fabulous. And we want to do a, a makeover. I said, okay, hang on a second. Let's let's rethink this and let's rename it and let's do a beautiful, I called it the Rubenesque story, let's do a beautiful celebration of women's curves and let's dress them to look amazing and let's create a tableau effect of all these women sitting together looking extraordinary and they were like okay well we could do that so anyway it became this gargantuan job. We were calling in clothes from all over the country in larger sizes and so this is going back 11 years ten and a half years and very very hard to get larger sizes for women anyway the day was amazing and the women were delighted it went on air uh, RT were amazed by the response it was enormous okay so they and the producer said to me on the day she said I don't think this this is the last you'll hear of this story and I was like okay didn't think anything more of it and then shortly afterwards I got a phone call to say look would you would you do um, a screen test? to see if you would present off the rails and how, how did you feel about that like, oh god I don't know about that at all like I, this was 2008 and I had like a stable of really good clients who were paying me a good wage to be a freelance stylist and um, I, I worked really hard but you know I, I was doing okay finally after clawing my way up And I thought, well, if I go and present a TV show, which will be a very much a full-time gig, um, I'll lose all those clients to somebody else. Somebody else will take the work. Um, I don't particularly want to be a TV, like there's no drive in me to be famous or to be a TV presenter. Um, And maybe, you know, the question was, maybe will I be misrepresented? Like, will I be allowed to be me while presenting a TV show? And I'd, so I I'd really, I really wrestled with it, you know, and then I kind of had a penny drop moment where I said, okay, you've been asked to try out to present a TV show on primetime television on the national broadcaster. If you say no, it will never come round again. Yeah. If you say yes and you don't like it, you can walk away. Mm-hmm. So that was my kind of, you know, scales falling from the eyes. I thought, just just do it. Just do it. If it doesn't work out, you walk away. And Literally, as I stepped off my previous life into into RTE, the crash happened, and all the advertising work. Wow! wow. Oh my gosh, son! So there was no work. So I didn't know this at the time, but literally as I was making that decision, everything was falling apart. So it was amazing. It was amazing, and and it was it was. I tell you one thing: when I went in to uh, they did a bit of media, media training with me. And I was really anxious be- for that very reason. How was I going to be portrayed? I didn't want to be some kind of frothy, blonde fashion girl. I knew I was smarter than that. Mm-hmm. And uh, they got a, a fabulous media trainer called Paul Masalides And they, they said, do half day media training with him. And he came in and he's super smart. And... Uh, He shook my hand and he said, could you give me a moment, please, with your series producer? I said, yeah, no problem. He went over, spent 30 seconds with her, and then we went into a training room. And he said, now, do you want to tell me what the problem is? I said, excuse me? He said, well, you look really, really anxious. So what's the problem? I said, well, I'll tell you what the problem is. I am really concerned about my reputation. And he said, well, I just asked your series producer what she wanted you to be, and she doesn't know. So it's entirely up to you. So just be yourself. And I was like, oh, wow. And actually, I've told that story so many times because one of the main lessons is nobody cares. <laughs> nobody cares. Be yourself. Everyone just else be yourself. is taken. Absolutely. Yeah. And and nobody has a grand plan for you. Nobody has enough um, brain space even to be conniving <laughs> against you. Do you know what I mean? So you have yeah. to just have the courage of it and just do it because yeah. nobody cares.
0: So it was around this time then, or you were a couple of years into Off the Rails and the massive success Mm. that yourself and Brendan made it, that you became a mum. When did you become a mum? No, I was
1: already a mum at that stage. So you were already a mum before you got the TV. Yeah. The the twins were, twins are 13 now, so they would have been three when I started Off the Rails. Okay, so can you take me back to (laughs) pre, so where were you at in your life when you
0: Oh, pregnant.
1: Ju- ju- before before I became pregnant, we lived in town. We lived in Herbert Park, um, in the centre of town. We had and still have, and it's yourself and your partner Dave. And Dave, yep. fantastic bunch of pals, absolute hedonistic paradise. Had the ball. For ten years, out all the time, just parties, we, clubbing, partying, music, hanging out in the factory, going to secret gigs of Prince and Getting, David Bowie, uh, what? and you know, making a fool of myself and Pod, and you know, just ha- we had a ball. We had a ball. Dave worked for MCD at one point, so we. I remember being on a p- private plane flying to Copenhagen with the cores, like I, I, like just crazy stuff. Crazy stuff. So then, did it come about
0: that you were like, you know, let's make a family? Well, was we just happened. Um, you were like,
1: first okay. thing that happened was we got a dog. <laughs> <laughs> all of us. Yeah, I got snared with that yeah. as well. And then we bought mm. a house. No, we bought the house. Then we bought the dog. Um, then it wasn't long after that we were ten years together, and we kind of turned to each other and said, "Okay, we we have a we have a nest now, and mm. um, it's time." And I remember we had this conversation where we said, okay, we'll try. And if it doesn't work out, let's not make it a thing. Because mm. there was no guarantee. I was 37 or whatever it was, you know. And I said, we'll we give it a lash. God, you don't look your age. Um, and uh, <laughs> we got pregnant first, first go with two.
0: Now, you know, any... Woman listening, trying is gonna hate you Sorry for that because you're one of those lucky ones. I wasn't as lucky as that. So, um, like, were you, were
1: you thrilled? Were you shocked that it happened that quickly? I were you- was, I was thrilled that it happened that quickly, um, uh, but. I was. I went into absolute shock when I found out at 20 weeks that there were two of them in there. So
0: you found out halfway through yeah. your pregnancy.
1: Yeah. Talk me through that
0: moment because uh, lots of mums will remember that time you're in, having the scan yeah. and then they see two I heartbeats. I mean, it was
1: really funny because I, I was saying to Dave, honey, this is going to be amazing for you. This is the first scan. <laughs> it's going gonna, it's gonna to be real for you. Like talking yeah, yeah, yeah. like a bloody self-help book. <laughs> and... Uh, I said, like, I know I'm pregnant. I can feel yeah. the changes in my body. Yeah. But this is going to be you seeing our baby for the first time, and I had the camera ready and the whole thing. And uh, we went in, and the nurse was saying, "Okay, take off your clothes." And she said, "Now put this, um, put this uh, blue paper. You know that the thick uh, roll of paper that yeah. they put, put this over you." And I'm like, "Oh, I don't care. And like, I'm not shy. Or whatever, it's fine." And I'm getting up there with my big bump and all the rest. And she said, no, 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 put it over you. And then she said, um, Now, she said, if you have a look there, uh, you'll see both your babies lying beside each other. Right. And because I wasn't expecting it, I didn't hear it. And so, and Dave is standing there computing before, way before I did. And I'm looking, as she said it, and I'm looking at the screen and I'm thinking, isn't that mad the way it almost looks like a mirror image? Isn't that mad? I wonder what that's about. And she's like, she said to me, you do know you're having twins, don't you? I said, What? And I cried cartoon out the side of my head tears for about ten days. Are you I was, serious? I was. I mean, because I'm quite an organised person. Because crash we... had been booked. I'd all oh, my plans no made. Way. And so, you know, all of a sudden, all the plans that I'd made for one were null and void. For two, and are twins run in the family or anything? Not, but you not were not, as like... far as we you know, right? Okay. So, You know, my grandmother could have had twins and maybe one survived or you you, you don't know. Different times. Yeah, of course. So um, they do now, however. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, my gosh. So what was it like being pregnant with twins? It was fine. And, And it's really funny. Right. So about a year before we even had that conversation about having twins, my subconscious had decided you're getting close now. Get your get your act together. And I had become really fit. So I had I was fitter than I'd ever been. OK, I had no idea what was happening. I wasn't in charge of that. My subconscious took control of that. And in a funny way, that's happening again. Again, now, as I approach my 50th birthday, I am now fitter than I even was then wow. because but now I know what's happening. I'm like, i got to be 50. I better get my act together. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, so your, your body, wow. your body knows what's going on. You're in sync with it without yeah. even realizing. Yeah, big time. So, yeah, so it, it was, um, I had to go back and I had to do a fitting for a TV commercial after after the hospital that day. And I was green. I was, I was in shock. I had no blood in my face. I was distraught. But physically you felt okay, did you? Physically it was, I was just fine. emotionally. We, had, we had, at the time we had a huge dog, uh, a big uh, uh, American Staffordshire, beast of a thing. I walked that dog uh until until I went into hospital for for uh, yeah to have the children like I was uh, I was fit and healthy and and uh, like had the cesarean uh, in the end and got up the next day and and went looking for them you know so wow. I I was it was great I was very lucky
0: What was it like coming home with two babies It's daunting enough arriving back with one with no manual going Hang on yeah. a second
1: I mean the the good thing I was We were coasting on ignorance, right? So we had nothing to compare it to. So you you weren't like, oh, my God, one is so much easier. So (laughs) all we knew was the absolute carnage that we had. And to be honest with you, I really don't remember much of the first year. It was just head down. And like the way I am, if I'm in a crisis, if I'm having a really bad time, if I'm trying to deal with something, I go into knuckle down. Right. So I don't I just I just harden the shell and muscle through it. Like that's what I do. I don't cry. That's what I was going to say. You're not
0: on the verge of tears. No, no. You're not. No, no.
1: I just go into war mode. Wow. And I've seen that. I, I know myself well enough to know that that's what I do. When they were a year old, I crumbled. Because I felt they, I've got through that year. That's a milestone. And then I just, I, like, I remember crying to my family. Like, no, I can't do this. And they're like, well, you've done it for a year. I'm like, oh, yeah. Really? Yeah. yeah. I, it was tough. Like, it's really full on um and was it the
0: sleep deprivation was just no the business because of actually them we all we, the time
1: we um we invested in a night nurse for the first month we said okay if we've got two babies we need to guarantee at least three nights sleep a week yeah or, or else we're useless for us and for them mm-hmm. and so we got a night nurse in and uh, actually the first night that the night night nurse came was the first night that I came home from hospital and I looked at Dave and I said uh do you know what? And he said, what? I said, we've got a babysitter. Do you want to go out? And he's like, you are mad. And we went out for, I'd say, an hour and a half and had a bowl of pasta in an Italian down the road. I nearly fell into it. I was so tired. But uh, but yeah, and yeah and we put a structure on it. We had no choice. They had to eat together. They had to sleep together. They had to poo together. Everything had to be done together. So you had a boy and a girl. Boy and a girl. Finn and Evie. Yeah. Um.
0: And did you... Like what kind of mum did you see yourself becoming or?
1: Well, my my sister uh, lovingly told me that I'm a much better person since I had them. <laughs> <laughs> did she? Yeah. Oh, she said you're much better. Oh, yeah. Go on, in what way? I I don't know. I, I think you, I think for me, it gave me a broader context uh-huh. for myself. Um, and I, I think I chilled out a bit. Uh-huh. It, um, I didn't take myself too seriously. Um, It's very hard when you're knee deep in poo to take yourself seriously isn't isn't it? Yeah it knocks the corners off you doesn't it? it? It's a good leveller. Yeah Um, and and they're great. I'm so unbelievably proud of them as humans. They're great. They're great. And
0: when you're raising a boy and a girl twin is there differences? Like do you find yourself I'm sure it all comes down to personality, but are you like, okay, with Evie you have to make sure she's got like loads of self esteem and with Finn I have to make sure he's not too tough and that he's a sen- you know, is it different with a boy girl thing or is it just all down to personality? I think
1: um if I if well, when I was pregnant I used to cross my fingers and say, uh, Dave's legs, my constitution. Dave's legs, my constitution. That was what I was wishing for, right? And and afterwards, I think it's independence and confidence for both of them. Like I I want them to be able to walk into a room and feel capable, mm. and and I, I want them to be confident. And it's it's no different for him than it is for her. Mm. So and and everything falls out of that then, and how you. Um, I remember myself and Evie, we were on holidays once and we watched Breakfast at Tiffany's. Blimey. And it was so, it was gorgeous, like a lovely moment in time. Bre- it's quite dark, Breakfast at, T- at is Tiffany's. Is it? Oh, it's really dark. Like it's, it's, um it's Truman Capote. Like it's, it's a tale of, you know, how people can destroy themselves really at the end of the day. Um, and I said to her at the end of it, just before we went to bed, I said, you know what, honey, all I want is to give you the confidence that you need to be the best that you can be and um, she was like oh and we had hugged it out and blah 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 and then I woke up the next morning and I said no that's wrong that's not the right thing to say and I went back out to her breakfast and I said can I correct what I said to you yesterday and she said yeah what and I said your confidence is not mine to give you it's yours to take so I need to facilitate it I can't give it to you wow and she was like I said do you get that and she said yeah I do smart
0: girl what age is she now she's 13 now Um, and also just because it's so like god what a year for women between time's up and everything like what is it like raising a girl in 2018 when she's at that age do you know what
1: it's amazing it's amazing because you know they're both so smart the communication system between us is so different to the communication system that was in place with my parents Mm -hmm. Um, she knows she can Talk about anything, 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 and um, everything from your physicality to your sexuality to whatever it is. I know she's only thirteen, and we don't get into that, but you know, there's a bit of it. It's in the ether, right? You have to understand, mm-hmm. you know, the full gamut of that. Um, she can talk to me, you know, and 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 we discuss it. And I want I want her to be physically confident in herself, to know herself. Um, and to not be, to not be ashamed of, of the body and its functions and, and, and what, it, what it's capable of. That's, you know, it ha- and, and I, I think that there's an amazing book, actually, that I got. I had heard it on, on um, I think, on Kira Kelly's show on, on News Talk, The Wonder Down Under, it's called. And it's a book about, all about a woman's uh, sexuality and, and physicality. It's amazing. It's um, I wish somebody had given it to me mm. um, and it's, it's It's. like a Bible for women about all the things we never knew because it's almost like women's genitalia and sexuality has been written out of the medical books. You know, that, that is actually the fact. And And there's so much research happening now that we didn't even know how things work why things work what they do what they're capable of um, so so yeah it's, it's about celebration and 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 meeting your potential I think
0: and you do so much work um, for equal pay tell us where you're at at the moment with that campaign because this is really interesting
1: Yeah, so this grew out of the work, I suppose, that I have been doing with Dress for Success. So the two big pillars of our um, communication and fundraising throughout the year are International Women's Day and Equal Pay Day. Mm. Um, So that has grown over the last three years, Equal Pay Day. And it is coming down the tracks like a steam train or a freight train or whatever you want to say. There will be mandatory pay pay scale disclosure in this country um, within the next year and a half. Um, how, how we do it and how we make it better than how the UK have done it is really important um, I'm very proud to say that I am with Senator Lorraine Clifford Lee a co-founder of the Cross-Party Parliamentary Committee to Tackle uh, Gender Equality in the Workplace um, and, and so we're looking at everything not just pay disclosure but childcare and uh, parental leave and awareness uh female negotiating skills, all all these things that impact on a woman's position in work and a woman's confidence, and it's scientifically proven that women are less confident than men in the workplace. Mm. And, and a lot of that goes back to how we're brought up at home and what those mores are and wh- what our what our values are and our, our self-esteem. Um, but I also think, you know, nature kind of conspires against women in terms of confidence, you know. And you you, you go and you have a baby, and nature puts you in a in a cocoon of hormonal love where you are 100% devoted to that child as it should be. Mm, mm. And then you turn around and before you know it, you're completely disconnected from your um, your work and your, your career. And, and you know, that that's fine for some people and that's what they want. For a lot of people, they have to work, you know, and if you can only work in part time low paid work because of your childcare situation, you're self selecting into something that's not economically sustainable. So there's a huge amount of work and I, I am passionate about it and I don't know everything about it but I'm trying to know as much mm. as I can and it's really for us now to, to look globally at what best practice is, what has worked, where, where have they done it right and how can we bring those pieces to the table and, and drive legislation to help women feel more confident, feel more connected and, and drive all the way through to the top table so that they can be part of the decision making process. This is it. Exactly. We need them around the boardroom. Yeah. How did your own relationship
0: with your career or work change after you became a mom? Or did it change? No, it didn't really. It didn't really. Um, it didn't sap ambition or it didn't not come. Conf- you know, did, did, I actually probably found out I became a bit more confident actually having yeah, had kids. I, I
1: do remember just before I went back to work feeling, I don't really want to go into town. I don't really want to talk to anybody. I don't want to meet anybody. And like if I was walking down any street, I'd probably meet six people that yeah, I knew, yeah. you know, and I just wasn't able. Yeah. And I remember feeling, and I remember going, oh wow, this is what it feels like to have yeah. low confidence. Yeah. Um. And then I, I just went warm out and just kept going. And before you know it, it's, it's all about your, nor- your normal is whatever your experience is on a day to day basis. And that's why people's normalities can become insidiously worse over time without them even realising or they can become incrementally better. So, you know, confidence and ambition is like a muscle. The more you train it, the more it fires up and the more you keep going, just as potential is. So you, you have a vision for yourself and you think, God, I'd really love to get there. That's where I need to be in two years time. You get there and you're like, yeah, that's great, but now I want to do this, you know? So you can train yourself to be on that kind of continuous improvement.
0: See, I told you I was going to learn something. <laughs> Sonia, I never stop learning around you. Okay, right. I want to ask you a couple of questions, okay? As parents, we are often winging it and making it up as we go. What's the most valuable lesson that your kids have taught you?
1: Um, I think it's about investing. You know, so you can be somewhere with somebody not be invested um, and I think really listening to somebody and investing in them while while you're together and ma- and making that happen creating those moments where you can be fully invested that's that's what they need and they need to be heard as in turn off the TV, take the phones away listen to what
0: your kid is saying. <laughs> Yeah. yeah, just be there. Mm-hmm. Um, if you could talk to the new mum, Sonia, what would you tell her? Um,
1: Enjoy your pasta? No, no, no. It's actually, I'm really clear on this. Um, you're driving the car. Babies can't drive. Don't let the baby drive the car because you'll crash. And I think people's, you know, people think that the baby is in charge sometimes the baby's not in charge the baby doesn't know what's going on you have to take control so be firm yeah. don't let them be the boss you're the parents. yeah absolutely I
0: love that um, <laughs> I love it because I do see sometimes I'm letting my three year old have their way and it's like actually I'm not doing them any favours by letting them stay no. up an extra 15 minutes
1: no yeah
0: no. it's interesting Um, being being a mom has made me oh um finish that sentence
1: good really yeah Yeah. I, I love it I love it and on that note <laughs> Lennon,
0: i knew you'd be a joy to sit down thank with you. thank you so much for giving us your it time was, today it was a joy to be here